getting that just right temperature or getting an energy efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com slash rebates. As an Alliant Energy representative, I really enjoy helping businesses save. Today, I visited a business that asked for a free energy audit. After walking through their facility, I let the customers know how much money and energy they could be saving. Plus, I gave them an action plan detailing how to improve their energy efficiency. I showed them how they could save even more with rebates from Alliant Energy on equipment upgrades. If you are interested in saving energy and money, schedule a free energy audit at AlliantEnergy.com slash energy audit. Do not wait around, man. Do not wait around. Let's go hit these boys in the mouth from the get-go, man. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Together on three. One, two, three. Yeah. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to another victorious edition of the Huddle Up Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, just a month ago, who would have thunk it that the Denver Broncos would now be at 500 and pushing for an actual playoff berth? I certainly did not foresee them going on this run when they were 3-6 and six and becoming within one game of the AFC wildcard spot. And even though it was a nice victory today and you can't apologize for any win, it kind of felt like a loss a little bit, though. I wasn't overly impressed with this victory, but, you know, a win is a win and the Broncos are 500 once again. Well, and losing the players that the team lost or the injuries the team suffered on Sunday definitely kind of contributes to that feeling, I'm sure, of it not being feeling like uh, an authoritative win. We're going to get to all that here in just a second. We've got a lot to get to today, obviously. But just real quick, a couple of small matters of business. You guys follow the show on Twitter. Make sure you're doing that, at HuddleUpPod. If you want to be able to get in on the Mile High Mailbag each and every week, you got to be following the show on Twitter. Occasionally we'll take questions from Facebook, but primarily we take 99% of our questions and, and engagement from the listeners on Twitter. So make sure you're following the show at Huddle Up Pod. Easy to remember. And also, if you have not done this, take some time, go leave a creative review wherever you listen to this show and rate the show. Give us a five star rating, especially. It's important if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher, but you can find the show, review, rate it, whether it's on iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, Spreaker, Spotify, pretty much anywhere and everywhere that you can access and listen to podcast but leave us a five-star rating and a review because we love getting your engagement we like hearing how you think we're doing on the show and uh, any constructive criticism or negative criticism as well send it our way we're down to hear it also quickly 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 we got to say thank you to the sponsor of today's show audible you guys go out and get yourselves a 30-day free trial and a audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash huddle up you got over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from, you guys, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. I use it all the time. I use it every single day. You'll love it too. Audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Get your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. All right, so 
the Denver Broncos roll into Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati and take down a, you know, you want to talk about a beat-up team. The Cincinnati Bengals went into this game completely nicked up, missing Andy Dalton, the quarterback, and uh, Jeff Driscoll starting in place of him. Basically, his first career start, the Broncos definitely benefited from that, although I would say that Driscoll was at least solid. He did better than I really expected him to, I would say, especially in the second half. But the Broncos, nonetheless, emerge victorious 24-10. And I think the first thing we got to touch on here, Zach, that's probably on the minds of the listeners right now is the injuries. So for those of you who missed it, the Broncos lost three starters to the in the game, starting with Chris Harris Jr. We'll get to him just in a second. Derek Wolf with ribs and then Josie Jewell with an ankle injury. Now, Wolf and Jewell, they're expected to return to the season. They're not expected, from what I know right now as of recording this episode, to miss any significant time. But Chris Harris Jr. with a fractured uh, fibula, he's been diagnosed. His prognosis is not good. So his best bet of still contributing to this season would be if the Broncos were to make the postseason and, and go on a run he could ostensibly heal up and return in time. So it'll be interesting to see what the Broncos do with his roster spot in the meantime, Zach. But obviously this puts a huge, huge onus on Bradley Roby to now step up and be basically the elder statesman of that group. And also the young guys, the rookie Isaac Yadam and Brendan Langley. How do you feel like those three in particular held up after Chris Harris left the game? I thought Yadam actually did some nice things today. I know the Bengals receiving core without A.J. Green, they're nothing, you know, they're all all pro, pro bowlers, but I thought he did some nice things. And Chris Harris Jr. actually earlier this week talked up Yadam and also Brendan Langley. The Broncos are high on both those corners, and now is the biggest test for them to see what they can do. They they both have third-round pedigrees, so they got to contribute. The Broncos have to see what they have in them anyway, with Roby out the door next year, Adam Jones gone, Tremaine Brock on next year, and Chris Harris Jr. getting older now. So I think they can contribute, and I think the Broncos catch a break by not playing any elite passing offense until the Chargers game in Week 17. You know, you have the Niners, the Browns, the Raiders. Those teams don't scare you. So in that sense, the Broncos uh, did catch a break with uh, Harris's uh, fractured fibula, which is a hairline fracture. So hopefully he can heal up sooner than later. Drink your vitamin D milk, Chris. That's right. Get it in you. But hey, you know, the other takeaway from that is you're absolutely right. You know, it's not like they're facing Aaron Rodgers tomorrow. But the next three games, so they got four remaining games, and you said Phillip Rivers is really the – the biggest um, threat to that unit, and that's in the season finale, Week 17. But what those three games leading up to that Week 17, which that Week 17 game could have all kinds of implications at this point, which we'll, we'll get to later on in the show. But these coming three games, though, will give Yadam and Roby and Langley and Brock, if he can get healthy, the opportunity to kind of gel and come together and, and work out their kinks, so to speak, because next week they go on the road once again. They're going to go play Nick Mullins and the San Francisco 49ers. That's a juicy matchup for DBs trying to kind of, you know, get stand on their own two feet and, and get a feel for playing with each other and playing more snaps and just mm-hmm. having more of a focus and an onus placed on them in-game. And then the next week they come home, you got Baker Mayfield, who – is a very good quarterback, but he's still a rookie. So there's going to be an opportunity there. And then they go on the road again week 16 to face Derek Carr, who, you know, a year, a year and a half ago, we would have viewed Derek Carr as one of the a dangerous quarterback to have to be facing in week 16. But as we've seen this year, he's been a shadow of his former self working with 
John Gruden. So three games, Zach, what do you think this this unit can do between now and then to maybe alleviate some of the concerns in Broncos country and build up some confidence in the fans and with one another and the coaching staff that, you know what, we're professionals. Two of us are third-round picks. One of us is a first-round pick. The other one's a veteran who's played in a lot of games that we can – we're up to the test, basically. We're up to the challenge. Yeah, you know, to me, it starts up front. As long as the Broncos keep bringing this pressure and Bradley Chubb and Von Miller keep thriving, the, the secondary could be fine. If they can not force the, the cornerbacks and the safeties to cover for five, six seconds, they can be they can withstand what the rest of the schedule has to offer. If the pass rush can just continue thriving, it's going to alleviate a lot of the worries of of this secondary without Chris Harris Jr. now because you saw Darian Stewart again today. He was inconsistent. Justin Simmons, he had that pick, but he's been a little inconsistent. Chris Harris Jr. held it down back there. Without him, no doubt, it's going to be tougher. It's going to be a little more uh, precarious in certain positions. But if they can just keep getting home on any quarterback they face, I am not too worried about the Broncos secondary. Yeah, and you know, one thing too that uh, one of the writers here at Mile High Huddle, you guys know him probably, the listeners of the podcast, Carl Dummler, one of the co-hosts of Building the Broncos, he's talked about this before, and he messaged me earlier today to tell me he's planning on doing a VIP film breakdown later this week on this very topic. But the idea, Zach, that Justin Simmons can and should be used, especially with Harris being gone now, as a cornerback, because they had to use him that way a few times today with the with the Tremaine Brock situation and then Harris going down. And he actually does quite well playing corner, so I'm interested to see what Carl can identify and what he can glean from the film on that from from today's game. But that's another option and, and a feather in the cap, so to speak, for Joe Woods because the Broncos certainly don't lack for safety availability and safety depth right now because if you take Justin Simmons out of that equation, you could still use him as safety, but you're moving him around the formation as a corner and as a safety. You still have Darian Stewart, albeit a slow and a toothed Darian Stewart growing the longer by the second. Um, then you got Sua Cravens, who played an enormous amount of snaps in Cincinnati and came away with four or five tackles. He played very well. Then you got Will Parks. Then you got Shamarco Thomas. And then you got what the other Thomas, DeMonte. DeMonte. Thomas. So... It's they they they're not lacking for talent at safety, and if any of those guys could hold up as a corner, what we saw today against the Bengals, it looks like it would be Simmons, and he has some talent. I mean, that's what's been so frustrating about Justin Simmons' season is that we know how good he is, we know how smart he is, we know how talented he is, but he just hasn't been able to play a consistent game. Who knows how much of that has to do with coaching, but he's obviously very skilled and has the ability to make a huge impact when he is in the zone, so to speak. That's a great point by uh, both Carl and yourself, because if you remember in 2016, Justin Simmons played strong safety. Now he's playing free safety. You can move him around. He's that athletic. And I have no doubt in a certain scheme, if they can get their ducks in order, he can thrive as a slot corner with his athleticism and ball skills. I'd be all for it. In fact, I, I'm, like you said, I noticed that Sue Cravens was getting more playing time today. Maybe they envision a bigger role now. I mean, they're going to have to do something to help offset this secondary because even though, like I said, the pass rush is thriving, uh, opposing quarterbacks are still going to target Isaac Yadam. They have to do something now. They're out of depth. They're out of uh, all pros back there. It's a, a very uh, aging unit. They have to do something. I would actually be very interested to see uh, what Simmons can do at slot corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing that they have to guard against is that, well, it's not so much guard against, but this, I mean, let's face it, both 
Brendan Langley and Isaac Yadam and Bradley Roby for that matter, they were all drafted to be press man cornerbacks, right? I mean, these are big, physical, long corners who, you know, you got Yadam and Langley that are, were both raw coming out of college, but they were drafted to play press man, and they have the size and skill sets to do that. You start running too much zone, and not only does that not play to their strengths, but then all of a sudden the key, obviously, with zone is communication. Guys have to not only know their own responsibilities, but they have to know other people's responsibilities because zones cross into each other, and they got to know when they're passing one guy off to the next who's, you know, whose responsibility that is and so forth. And when you have a lot of inexperience on the field at the same time, you run zone. I mean, it's a recipe for disaster. And so what that means for Joe Woods is it's like, look, it's time to batten down the hatches and really play to your strengths as, as a press man secondary. Let these corners rough up the receivers getting off the line, disrupt their timing. And what that does is it buys Chubb, it buys Miller, it buys that front seven the time to get there and make pre- uh, you know create some pressure. The flip side to that is both of these guys are young. And even though they are more suited to press man coverage, they're also susceptible to the type of double move routes that can lead to big plays down the field. So that's the one thing that they would have to guard against. But moving forward, Zach, I don't see any way in which the Broncos can avoid going more to a man system as opposed to running this pretty balanced. I mean, if you look at what Joe Woods has done this year, he's ran probably as much zone as he has man. Yeah, and we've been screaming about it, I think, for weeks now. We've been saying, why are the Broncos giving so much cushion? Why are they playing so far off the ball? And the last couple weeks, to Joe Wood's credit, they've played more uh, uh, aggressive man coverage, and they played well off the ball today, especially after Harris went down. It was actually picked up by the CBS broadcaster. He mentioned, why is he giving such a big cushion? And a big completion ensued. These cornerbacks— all of them down now, the, the remaining that they have, they are, like you said, best suited for man press, bump and run, physical style of defense, not to give them so much cushion and not to give opposing quarterbacks that extra second to wait for his man to break or put the ball in a better place. It comes down to coaching in the end. I would like to see Justin Simmons as a slot corner. I would like to see what Yadam can do with a bigger role in Brendan Langley. But it still concerns me that they're going to misuse these players in the wrong scheme by playing too much zone defense. Yeah, it is. I am excited for Langley and Yadam because it's through adversity like this in situations where the injury bug strikes and no one could see it coming that guys really, I don't want to say stars are born, but pros are born. You know, it's a trial by fire, but I'm excited for Brendan Langley. I'm excited for Isaac Yadam because they really are going to get a lot more playing time. And even though the spotlight's going to be on them, this is their opportunity to kind of step forward and say, look, you know, we were third round picks in this league. We can hang with the best in the business as far as the wide receivers out there and the quarterbacks. So we're going to do our thing. I'm excited for them. But the question we keep getting from people, and it's on the minds of, of many, is will the team, do you think, Zach, try and bring back Adam Jones I don't see it happening I I just think uh, they moved on for a reason and they wanted to get younger and re-signing a 35 year old is not getting younger even though they're depleted right now I I do think they make do with what they have and they lean more heavily on Isaac Yadam on Brendan Langley and one thought that went through my mind when you were just talking a second ago was Yadam right now he is scheduled to be a starter 
next season. If you think about it, Brock's going to be gone. Roby's going to be a free agent. Harris under contract, but who else do they have? So right now, he's going to be the starter. So the Broncos really have to know whether he can hold up in that role or if he's best suited to be a backup. So I think it's a good opportunity for him and for the team. The only thing I don't like, and it's kind of ominous, I'm hopeful it's not a harbinger of things to come, is, you know, A.J. Green left the game early. So that was one of the things that helped the Broncos when Chris Harris left. It wasn't much longer after that that A.J. Green left the game. And then Tyler Boyd, though, he went mm-hmm. on to have a big game. He was targeted yep. eight times. He came down with six receptions for 97 yards. I mean, it was a, it was a huge game for him. And most of the time in coverage, it was Bradley Zone. Roby. And, yes, a lot of times it was. It was more zone type of coverage where you're just asking young players to use their heads more than their ability, their physical ability. That's right. And you want it to be the opposite. So I'm hopeful. And that's the other thing we need to talk about here real quick, Zach, before we move on to other topics from today's game, is Bradley Roby. Because he has... Mm -hmm. I mean, he has been the epitome in a contract year of inconsistent. He giveth, he taketh. He giveth, he taketh. He have, he'll, have, he'll make a great play on, on one series and then only to come back on the field and get burned for a 97-yard touchdown, for example, on the <laughs> next. And so this is another, just like I'm excited for the other two, the younger guys, I'm somewhat excited for Roby too because this is an opportunity for him to kind of make up for his lack of consistency for the majority of the season and kind of step more to the fore and lead these guys. Cause someone has to lead them from a corner perspective. I mean, you're going to have your safety, you're going to have your leaders like Justin Simmons and Darian Stewart cracking knuckles and cracking heads. But from a, from a similar skill set, look, we both play the same position type of leadership. Bradley Roby has an opportunity to set himself apart in that sense. And again, Sometimes you don't know who leaders are until they're pushed to the forefront. And in this case, Chris Harris Jr. goes down. We don't know what's, what the future holds for Bradley Roby, but this is an opportunity, I think, for him to kind of change the narrative on what has been overall a disappointing contract year. Yeah, I'm optimistic to see what he can do, but I'm cautiously optimistic because he was pretty good as a number three, and then he struggled as a number two this year. Now he's a number one, going to face the opposing team's best receiver every single week, one-on-one coverage more than likely. Uh, I hope he holds up. That's all I'll say. You know, he's been really inconsistent, and the last couple games I give him credit because he he was much better in coverage than the entire Broncos secondary was. But today, it was more of that bad Roby that we've seen. You know, he was a little lapsing in coverage, kind of turned around in a couple plays. And again, they're facing Jeff Driscoll and an A.J. Greenless offense. So there really was no excuse to not have a good performance against them. So, yeah, I want to see what he can do. I'm just not going to expect him to suddenly turn into a pro bowler with the last four games to go. Right. But, yeah, it's definitely going to be one of the key storylines for this team moving forward is – this suddenly embattled and beleaguered secondary making up for the loss of an all-pro caliber player. So we'll see how that shakes out. But other things we got to talk about that we took away from Week 13 in Cincinnati, I think, again, we saw first-half struggles rear its ugly head as as it applies especially to Case Keenum. I mean, I think the the model is more correct in terms of pass-to-run ratio. I think they're they're honing in on where they need to be in that Mm -hmm. sense. Case Keenan passed only 21 times, well, attempted only 21 balls. He was sacked a couple times, but 12 completions only. So he really struggled with accuracy. And granted, he had a dro- couple guys drop balls, I guess you could argue. Sutton, especially one of them, was a drop. But 
you know, he just wasn't very accurate today against the Bengals. And fortunately, in the second half, he was able to make some hay while the sun still shined. But I think for the Broncos, and granted, it's a road game, and every game gets harder for any team in the NFL when they go on the road. You're never going to see... Uh, I shouldn't say never because it's an absolute, but oftentimes teams and quarterbacks just don't play as well on the road as they do at home. And we saw that from Case Keenum in week 13. But, you know, the Broncos are going to be on the road two more times before this regular season is over. They're, I think, going to need a better performance, especially early in the game, because really this game was 7-3 to going into halftime. I mean, it should have been 14-3 to going into halftime. I mean, this was a completely outmatched and outclassed Bengals roster that the Broncos really should have just lambasted, even though they were the traveling team. They were on the road. And were it not for yet another Herculean effort from Philip Lindsay, who knows if they ever would have been able to get any offense going there in the second half. But what were your thoughts on Case Keenum week 13 at the Bengals? Well, real quick, I'm really glad you made that last point because what I wanted to say was it felt like a loss to me because the Broncos should have blown this team out. This score was not indicative to how the game went. It was one of the worst games I have seen this entire season by any team. It was sloppy. There were mistakes. There were penalties. Uh, it slowed to a crawl at a certain point. The Broncos had no business letting the Bengals even hang around in this game. So 14 points to me does not impress me at all. So I agree with you to that extent. Keenum to me, uh, 151 yards, 12 completions. He had a touchdown, 95.5 rating. I think the shift in the Broncos' philosophy and the reason why he hasn't thrown an interception in four games now, they finally accepted, I think, what he is, which is a game manager. They're not trying to make him this hero, you know, Aaron Rodgers type of quarterback who can shoulder the entire offense. They're running the ball. They're getting historic production out of Phillip Lindsay, and they're letting the defense take care of the rest. The Broncos are a good enough team to where if they don't shoot themselves in the foot, they can win ball games. They can wait until the other team falls apart, and they can take advantage. That's the key to success for them right now behind a swarming defense and a really, really good running back is no mistakes from the quarterback, no sack fumbles. Uh, he's even having better pocket presence now. He's getting out of sacks, Definitely. no interceptions. So as long as he can keep up that sort of formula, the Broncos are in good shape. And the other thing that jumped out to me when I was doing the takeaways piece immediately after the game was – just the turnover differential. If you look at the last three games in which the Broncos have won, all of them, they've taken the ball away now 10 times over the last three games, 10 mm -hmm. times. And today was actually their first giveaway of that three-game stretch, which was the fumble by Royce Freeman, who ended up having a pretty solid game all in, 12 attempts, 48 yards. He kind of grinded it out, gave, gave Phillip Lindsay some time to kind of stay fresh on the sideline. But back to the turnover differential, that's the winning formula. That in and of itself is, I mean, it, it's tied to win-loss record more than any other statistic is turnover differential because it's yep. not just about taking the ball away, which the Broncos have done a phenomenal job of the last three games, but it's also, to your point, Zach, crucial that the offense is not basically negating those takeaways by giving it away themselves. In Case Keenum has done a much better job of playing within himself, playing within the scheme that I agree with you. It's like Bill Musgrave has dialed it down. They've kind of figured out the formula that works. They're under no further illusions, as you said, that he's some kind of Aaron Rodgers hero, Case Keenum. And they're, they're scheming this thing more based on what they have today and what reality is rather than wishful thinking. And I think that's getting them a lot closer to the mark. You know, obviously Keenum needs to be 
more efficient, going 12 of 21. You know, third down, Denver only converted 5 of 13, which is not good. Same as Cincinnati, 5 for 13 on third down. First downs, the Broncos only had 16. The Bengals, for crying out loud, had 20. Total yards, the Broncos outgained Cincinnati barely. And by barely, I mean it took all of the fourth quarter for them to finally pull ahead of Cincinnati at 361 total yards for the Broncos to 311 for Cincinnati. So just overall, Case Keenum has has played better. He's played a tighter, more conservative. And here's the thing, too, before I forget this, because I'll lose track of it as this conversation winds in different directions. But Bill Musgrave spoke to this on Thursday, and I thought it was interesting that Case Keenum, see, the Broncos, despite their struggles offensively, they remain one of the dominant teams in terms of picking up big plays. And we saw a few of them today with Phillip Lindsay's 65-yard run with a touchdown to Cortland Sutton. And Case Keenum, as the trigger man, you you do at least have to tip your cap to him, Zach, for walking that razor's edge of protecting the ball, yet still having the ability to make those big plays vertically down the field that are picking up chunk yards and points for the Broncos. We've seen more big plays down the field, either 40-yard passes, 20-yard runs, this season alone in the past two years combined. I don't think that's arguable at all. I don't think you can even dispute that point. The Broncos' offense is more explosive, but they struggle between the, the 20s, the red zone. They, they they had a bad philosophy. I mean, I remember times you and I were screaming after games early, earlier this year because Case Keenum was dropping back to pass 40, 50 times a game. They were running the ball maybe 15, 20 times. The balance was way off. Yep. Today, game uh, I think what 29 dropbacks he had uh, eight hurries and 21 attempts and they ran the ball uh, 31 times between Lindsay and Freeman that's the formula and that's why you have Freeman averaging four yards a carry you have Lindsay popping off for 157 yards two touchdowns 8.3 yards per carry that is the winning formula if they can just avoid turnovers from Case Keenum and they can let the playmakers go to work they can win ball games they found the winning formula they just cannot go away from it they cannot turn Case Keenum into something he's not, which is this franchise field general. It's just not going to be him. And I'm starting to kind of like the contribution from Devontae Booker. Like today, Mm -hmm. that that first touchdown the Broncos picked up from Phillip Lindsay, which was a phenomenal six-yard scamper in and of itself, but that that drive was set up by that 30-yard catch and run by, by Devontae Freeman. And, you know, there were times earlier this season where the listeners heard us criticizing the use of Devontae Booker. It's like, look, it's third down, yeah, he's a better run blocker than any of the other guys, but you know, at a certain point you want your best players on field in the most crucial moments, third down being one of them. But Booker is showing his, his – I think they've kind of found a pretty good formula as well for the backfield with Lindsey leading as the man, Royce Freeman backing him up from a carry's perspective, and then peppered in with Devontae Booker's ability as a pass catcher and to pick up a blitz if needed. I mean, case they can, they can call a play, for example, that – has Devontae Booker as a running back either split out wide or even in the backfield at, in a in a in a receiving route to run a route. And if Case Keenum sees something he doesn't like, a blitz coming, whatever, he can call Booker in or keep him in to block and assign that, you know, pre-snap. So it does it's working out to their benefit. One of the takeaways I think from all that being said is the Broncos are figuring out what works for them at the right time. They have finally come to the right conclusions, figured out the right formulas 
in a, at the point in the season in which you would hope they have those things down. So that's that's one good thing to take away from all this, despite some of the offensive struggles today. You and I are and have been two of Booker's biggest stands. I mean, everyone else in Broncos country seems to dislike the guy, but we've been kind of pining for him the whole season. I was asked so many times before the trade deadline, even after, why did the Broncos keep Devontae Booker? Why is he still around? Is he a trade bait? No, they like him. They find a role for him. He's the senior most running back. He's good in pass pro, good out of the backfield. And like you said, when they bring him into games now, he has some wiggle. He has some ability. He's fresh. This was a guy who was the Broncos' leading rusher a couple seasons ago. Now he's the third running back, so it's good depth to have. I want to make one point about the the running back pecking order, and I want to give credit to Bill Musgrave for realizing and enacting a policy in which Philip Lindsay is the Broncos' unquestioned number one running back, and he didn't play Royce Freeman simply because of draft status. He didn't play him as a number one because he was a third round pick, and Lindsay was a number uh, he was undrafted. He's playing the the, the people who are thriving right now. And they're giving him workhorse carries, workhorse touches. I applaud Musgrave and the Broncos for that, for sticking with what's working. We're seeing a lot more Philip Lindsay now because they finally realized he's their biggest playmaker. Yep. And he had that phenomenal, for those of you who missed it, we don't often tell you to go listen to someone else's podcast, but the Peter King podcast, which is a quality listen week in, week out for fans of the NFL. Philip Lindsay appeared on his podcast last week, and it was one of the best interviews you'll ever listen to, like ever yep. in the history of the NFL. So go check that out. We I, I wrote a piece on it that just kind of covered some of the takeaways. You can find that on the website. Uh, but there was a few things in that interview I learned about the Philip Lindsay story that I did not know up Same. until that point. So very worthy, and it's just great to see him continuing on his march. I think he's right around 950 yards rushing now on the season. So he's basically one game away from breaking over 1,000 and even though Clinton Portis still owns the Broncos' rookie rushing record with over 1,500 rush yards, I mean, that seems like a tall order for Philip Lindsay to get there at this point. But with four games left, if he produces like this for the remaining four games, he has a shot at getting there. It, already what he's done is incredible. The fact that he was undrafted and made the team at a training camp and took Terrell Davis's number and worked his way up the depth chart, it's incredible. If he doesn't gain another yard from here on out, it, it's been one of the best first-year breakout seasons in Broncos history. And he's going to probably break Dominic Rhodes' NFL single-season rushing, rookie rushing record. I think it was 11.04. Uh, so, you know, what more could you say about him? That 65-yard touchdown run, I mean, how do you overlook that speed? How do you put that guy on tape and not see a draftable prospect? It's just, I still don't understand why he went undrafted. I don't understand how 32 teams, including the Broncos, passed him up. Yep. Um, but yeah, but no matter what he does, I mean, even if he doesn't win, win Offensive Rookie of the Year, I mean, it's just been an incredible season. I have run out of words to describe him. He's yep. just phenomenal. And one of the interesting takeaways from that interview with Peter King was that you know we knew that, for example, the Baltimore Ravens were in on the, the Philip Lindsay sweepstakes after the draft, but we learned from that interview that Philip Lindsay did not want to come to Denver initially, and he had kind of his eyes set on Baltimore, but there were two things that made the difference in him ultimately deciding to sign with the Broncos. One was the obstacle that, look, as an undrafted player, I might make two grand, I might be given like a $2,000 signing bonus to go to Baltimore, and he'd have to figure out how to live and survive up until and if he could make the, the roster, which was pretty scary for him at that point because he'd never lived away from home, never had right. to really fend for himself in that sense. Not that that would have been the 
probably wouldn't have stopped him if it was his best offer. But that was one of the obstacles. And then the other thing was he was trying to think of it. Teams had only given him 15 minutes to make a decision on where he would sign. And he tells the story, and you just have to hear it the way he describes it. But the room goes quiet. He's with his family and his agent, obviously. And the room goes quiet. And then his mother, who he says has like a sixth sense, basically, of just kind of knowing things, says, Philip, you need to stay home. You need to sign with the Denver Broncos. And for him, he was really mad at Denver because he had expected them to draft him. And yet they took two running backs in the draft, neither of which were him. David Williams in the seventh round, he really expected that to be him and it ended up being David Williams. So he was pissed off at the Broncos. He did not want to sign with Denver. But his mother weighing in like that when the chips were down at the penultimate moment, you know, he's got the clock ticking. He's got 15 minutes that these teams have given him to make a decision, a life-altering decision to, to change and alter his destiny as a football player. His mom says Broncos. And if you look at it from a, you know, it's almost like a, a fortune teller reading the signs, right? Like he could not have signed with a team in a more fortuitous situation from a roster math perspective because you got C.J. Anderson's gone and Devontae Booker's your long tooth. I mean, that's your established, entrenched veteran, a guy going into his third year. And yeah, you had two fellow rookie running backs that were draft picks that you had to out battle. But like for a rookie running back trying to catch on and make a roster and, and begin an NFL career, Zach, like... Sure, he had to do a lot, and he did do a lot to earn his role on the team. But he also, one of the things, his, maybe his mother wasn't even looking at it from an X's and O's and personnel and roster math perspective. It was a gut thing, but she was right. Yeah, Mama Lindsay with the assist. I think all of Broncos country owes her a nice Christmas card this year uh, for, for convincing him to sign. But it makes sense. I mean, of course, she'd want him to stay close to home and, and thrive with the team that he grew up watching and idolizing. I mean, you Hollywood can't pen a perfect script in that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I will say that watching him run now, it's like he doesn't run with a chip on his shoulder. He runs with a bag of Doritos on his shoulder. I mean, the guy <laughs> is just – he is super motivated each and every week. He fights hard. He runs between the tackles outside. I I've, I've truthfully haven't seen – too many players who can do what he's doing at five foot eight as an undrafted written off player it's just truly truly amazing let's kind of shift gears just a little bit here and before we move on from talking about the offense I just want to talk about also Cortland Sutton who as we saw today can be a phenomenal phenomenal playmaker but he's also still struggled with consistency and one of the biggest things obviously he and Keenum are still working on their their chemistry and whatnot but one of the things that really frustrates me about Sutton which I don't understand is with his six foot four 216 pound frame he should be cleaning up underneath especially on slant routes where he can box out defenders on their angle to the ball and that's the one route now again going back to VIP Carl actually published an article earlier this week breaking down Cortland Sutton uh, his his worries at as a route runner and some of the limitations and upside of Cortland Sutton. And he talked about and identified some of his struggles as a route runner, but that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about his hands here on slant routes. Zach, what in the heck? Why is he not just vacuuming these these slant routes in like he like a six foot four? I mean he's like Brandon Marshall, the receiver. He should be just hauling these things in. I mean if you throw him twenty slants and it, over the course of, you know, a quarter of a season, he should be hauling in 17 or 18 of them, but he's just not for some reason. His hands have been extremely inconsistent. 
Yeah, I think some of Demarius Thomas rubbed off on him where he'll miss a gimme pass and then go make a 40-yard uh, back shoulder spinning around grab. It's just inconsistency. But people have to remember that he was entering college. He was a safety. I mean, playing receiver is still new for the guy, relatively speaking. He's still a raw prospect. That's why he wasn't a polished first-rounder. I mean, it's the reason why he did go in the second. And he was a, a kind of a, a project, a, a developmental player. It'll get better over time. It just comes with playing and, and it comes with experience and, and forming that habit of catching the pass. And and maybe he has some technique issues. Maybe he's overthinking it. But as long as he can continue making those explosive catches and those plays down the field and those sideline grabs and those 70-30 balls because 50-50 doesn't exist when he's in the game, that's his role right now. So if he can do that, you kind of can overlook the gimme passes, relatively speaking. He has to get better at them. Uh, but it does remind me of Demarius Thomas in that respect, though. The other thing that I want to touch on before we move on that I think we have to correlate here is the fact that if you look at Case Keenum's passing over the last two or three games leading up to week 13, he had really begun to lean on the tight ends. Obviously, Jeff Hireman gone for the season after last week, but you look at today, only one target going to a tight end, one to Matt Lacoste, which he was unable to haul in. And so I think that had a little something to do with Case Keenum early on struggling to get into a rhythm is his his key guys at that position, his his security, his safety blanket, so to speak, gone, both Jake Butt and Jeff Hireman. And so now he's having to kind of reestablish that security and that safety with a guy like Matt Lacoste. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time. He actually had Lacoste wide open early in the game, and he just missed him. I think it was a third down play. Um, yeah, the Hireman thing kind of um, screwed everything up because he was an established number one, and Lacoste was coming along as a number two, but I don't see Lacoste as a starter. So it kind of threw the imbalance off a little bit. And when you have Philip Lindsay running for 150 yards and two touchdowns, I mean, you don't really need the tight end to break out. So it'll never be an integral part of the Broncos' offense. It, it was interesting to see what Hireman can do, though, and that's why it was a shame that he went down. But this offense doesn't flow through its receivers, nor does it Case Keenum. Like you mentioned, to me, he was out of sorts in the beginning of the game. The first mm-hmm. half, he was missing left and right and, and just uh, rusty. When they get a lead, though, and they start to settle down, they get better. So right. uh, as long as they continue running the ball, um, I don't think a, a big tight end contribution should be expected. And one other quick aside here is that uh, earlier, I think it was two days ago, Nick Kendall published a phenomenal read. It's free to everybody. It's not VIP on Matt Lacoste. So you might hear Zachary say, you know what, Matt Lacoste, he's not cut out to be a number one tight end in this league. And he's not, at least not right now. But if you go read that article that Nick did, it was, it's nice. To, I mean, just as an editor going through that thing, he probably had 2,000 words in that article. But it's very illuminating in terms of really understanding the pros and cons to Matt Lacoste. And, I mean, whether he ends up putting up tight end one caliber numbers, he is Denver's top tight end now. So it's good as a fan. You want to know what this guy can do from a scouting perspective, what the book was was on him coming out of the draft, why he's kind of bounced around the league a little bit. And really, as an unlikely player, I mean, if you go back six months ago, he was not projected to make this roster. I mean, even Zach and I, when we were projecting the 53, we were expecting it to be Hireman Butt and Austin Trailer, But yep. it was Matt Lacoste who was able to beat out Trailer. Uh, and there's a reason why. So go check out that article. And also, it really is an opportunity to talk to you guys really quick about being a VIP because last week we had a phenomenal Cyber Monday special in which we gave away 
your first year of VIP subscription, basically at half cost. And a lot of you pulled the trigger on that. We appreciate you coming on board. Welcome aboard. For those of you who haven't or missed that, you can still become a VIP and you can even check it out and try it and see what it's like, see, see how it works for you for an entire month free. So if you go to the website, milehighhuddle.com, you'll see a green banner that says, you know, VIP join now, something like that. If you click on that, it's going to ask you to create an account. And when you do, it'll go through the process. At checkout, if you type in film room as a, as a coupon code, it will give you your first 30 days free. So you can try it for that month, read the VIP articles, go to the Mile High Huddle Insiders Forum, and just become part of the community and kind of soak it in and decide after that point if you want to stick with this. More often than not, what I've seen from people who try on the, on the free trial and, and come in for a month is they stick. And I think you will too. So go check that out. Top of the website, green banner, click it and use the code film room. And that'll get you a 30 days free. So we're running out of time here. Um, we have to be a little bit shorter in today's episode. So let's look to, to the mile high mailbag, Zach, because each and every week, I mean, we're here to, we're your football priests. We're offering you that absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions and reactions. And, you know, your team has now won three in a row inexplicably against all odds they are now very much a part of the playoff race in the AFC one question here we'll start with Ronald Newman Jr. on Twitter Zach I'll serve this up to you we'll run through these relatively quick do you see us is Ronald's question bringing in another corner um that's a good question I I I still my gut tells me that they'll lean on what they have right now I think they're good enough to get by with what they have uh it's all uh, you know coachable talent and they have to see what they have in them maybe they'll work someone out I don't see any major signings I don't see Adam Jones coming back Um, I don't see any major personnel changes so to answer that question I think it'll remain mostly the same I think it really actually depends on the prognosis of Tremaine Brock so Great point. If the team is still expecting some bumps in the road there and some availability issues, they're going to have to sign someone either that or fully transition Justin Simmons to corner. So those are your options. And to answer your question, I I concur with Zach that I I don't think Adam Jones is coming back, but it just depends on if they make a move there, whether or not Tremaine Brock is is healed back and and back to uh, availability. Now, here's another. This one's more of a a reaction, but it comes from Colby, who kind of echoes what you said at the top of the show, Zach. He says, well, basically what he says here, to paraphrase him, because the punctuation's not great. Love you, Colby. (laughs) Is that with losing Chris Harris Jr., it almost feels like a loss. Yeah, it, it was deflating. I mean, with a win, you you love the Broncos' playoff chances of winning out and grabbing a wild card. It's going to be so tough, though, without their defensive leader, the the last major link of the no-fly zone. I mean, it's it's tough. And he's a leader on and off the field. He's a mouthpiece at the locker room. Uh, it's going to be tough. It, it no doubt makes their path harder. And that's why I felt like it was just between the penalties and the injuries and the relatively low score and the problems they had before you know the fourth quarter, it did feel like a little bit of a loss. It didn't feel like a resounding victory to me now gary smith he says and i think this is something that actually the majority of broncos country needs to kind of get behind gary says i feel like i need to stop being a grump and appreciate this season now vj and company the players etc have really made some strides musgrave still isn't impressing me that first half was ew and i think that's true you know we talked about this after the broncos beat the steelers you know i kind of got up on a soapbox and said look 
it's time to believe and get behind your team, put aside the negativity and all that, and really just have a paradigm shift. And Gary's coming around to that same type of perspective, Zach, where it's like, look, make hay while the sun is shining. Right now your team is relevant, so get behind them. I think you and I are relatively fair. We we give credit where credit's due. We we apologize and need crow where we have to. And last week, we both opened up the show praising Vance Joseph. And for me to praise Vance Joseph and quote him in a positive way, that was a major step. I have no horse in this race. They have taken major strides. This is a much better team than you saw last year. And Joseph, as a coach, in some areas, not others and not all of them, has improved. Is he perfect? No. Is he still, I think, going to lead to a Super Bowl? No. But he has shown improvement and maybe even enough to come back for another year. So this team is much better. You have one of the best rookie classes in NFL history. You have a young nucleus of talent. You have players breaking out like Shelby Harris out of nowhere for the second year in a row. The team is right in the thick of the playoff chase or 500. I mean, it is you kind of got it can't be a Grinch right now. You got to yeah. enjoy what you have right this second. It could end next week with a loss. Uh, keep going. Got to just enjoy it one day at a time. Right now they won three in a row. It's time to feel good. I mean, it really was next man up for the Broncos today because Chris Harris Jr., that put the onus on the DBs. Then you had Derek Wolf going out with the ribs. Shelby Harris, you know, sack and a half, basically, a stud. Then you had Josie Jewell. And then my boy, Joe, Joe Jones, freaking four solo tackles. He was around the ball like crazy. And, you know, everyone listening to this show knows I've been pounding the table for that dude for a few weeks now. You know, he's been there, the team's special teams maven, and it's just good to see him getting some time. But, you know, that's one of the things I think some of the fans and analysts around the NFL maybe didn't fully appreciate with the Broncos is they do have some depth. And, you know, not, nothing like necessity, obviously. You know, that's that brings out the best and sometimes the worst. But in this case, it's bringing out the best. The Broncos backups and the depth of this roster is having to step up and bridge the gap between – you know, and make the difference between what it means to to lose and win a game in the NFL. So a couple more here, and then we got to get out of here from Chase Beck. He says, basing this on nothing, but it feels like when Case is able to throw to tight ends, he's had his best days of the season, Zach. Yeah, I mean, they're easy safety blankets. All quarterbacks love tight ends. It's just, unfortunately, the Broncos don't place a big emphasis on their tight ends. Even when Jake Bob is healthy, he wasn't exactly putting up, you know, Travis Kelsey numbers. It's just not a big focus of their offense. It's more geared toward their receivers and running backes. I mean, look at today. Matt Lacoste, I, I, he was held catches, I believe, and he had one target. Yep. And they didn't even target Brian Parker. They didn't target uh, Tamara Hemingway, who they just called from the practice squad. Who dressed. It's, He did, and it's not a big part of their offense. So it helped them, and Hireman's resurgence finally did help Case Keenum, but it was never going to be an integral part of this offense. It's just not the way Bill Musgrave likes to uh, shape his scheme. And then this comes. I'm going to read these two back-to-back. Jared says, at let's see, at Nose Sports on Twitter says, losing Chris Harris is going to hurt. Should still be able to beat a terrible San Francisco team, but the Browns will be a tough matchup. Play calling is still extremely predictable. Hopefully the momentum gets the offense some confidence to take more shots down the field. And then J.E. Spittler on Twitter says, Philip Lindsay gets 20 carries, goes for nearly 160 and two TDs. It only took 12 games for the Broncos to figure this out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We've been saying it for how long now? Run the freaking football. I've been saying on Twitter for months, Lindsay is the Broncos' best running back, not Royce Freeman. I love them both, but it's obvious. They have to employ that strategy. You run the football. It's your bread and butter. Don't make Keenum this franchise quarterback. Give the ball to Philip Lindsay. You will be okay. 
I mean, I was blown away by the fact that Denver's first four plays of the game all went to Phillip Lindsay. And so that's the takeaway, you guys, is the Broncos, they're figuring it out. You know, they've come to terms with reality, and they're doing so at the right time. So a lot of good things to take away, even though this was a weird game, some losses from the injury bug, but the team still found a way on the road to beat a team who was also 5-6. and six. So hats off to the Broncos. Just a quick look ahead at the playoff picture. Now, I don't have this in front of me and all the details exactly, but the takeaways from Week 13 are the Colts lost to the Jaguars, which was a big step in the right direction for Denver with them winning as well. So the Colts, they lost today, but the flip side was you had the Ravens and the Dolphins, who were both still ahead of Denver in the, that, that second wildcard role. Both of those teams won today. So, again, the Broncos the are probably— Oh, that's right, and the Titans. So— the Broncos, they can't worry about what other – I mean, that's what guys like Zach and I are here to do is to kind of talk about the different situations and scenarios. But as Vance Joseph said, after the game, they're still not thinking and talking about the playoffs because this small focus with big-picture awareness, has this new philosophy has served them well so far, three consecutive wins coming out of the bye. And so they're not going to deviate from that. And all they can do, Zach, is just continue to take care of their own business and then let the chips fall where they may. They kind of control their own destiny for as much as a team that's out of the the last spot right now does. If they win out, entering today's game, they had a 93% chance of making the playoffs if they win out and certain things break their way. If they lose one more game, it wouldn't mathematically eliminate them, but it would make it almost impossible. So they have to win out. That's first and foremost. If they can do that, they have a chance, a pretty good chance. If they drop one of these winnable games, then they probably won't make it. And you can say that they they have no business being in the playoffs anyway. If they lose to Nick Mullins, the 49ers next week, why would you want them in the playoffs anyway? It's just they don't deserve to make it. So they went out, they control their destiny. If they lose, uh, you know, that's that's their own fault. They've made their bed. Yep, absolutely. So that's going to do it, though, for today's episode of the Huddle Up podcast, the gut reaction to Week 13's gritty victory for your Denver Broncos. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. You guys, get in on the Mile High Mailbag. Follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Don't forget to leave a creative review and rate the show. Give us that five-star rating. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 